Good evening, and you're very welcome to another episode, a little bit of a bonus this week. We're throwing a, a little extra podcast into the uh, show this week, just because of the international fixtures. I'm Brefney Early, back on the Final Whistle Women's National League podcast here, but of course it's all things women's football, domestic and international uh, in Ireland at the moment. Aaron Clark joins me all the way from Hungary. Aaron, uh, how is uh, Ireland's next opponents as a country treating you? Yeah, it's nice. Um Went out for dinner this evening. Had a bit of street food. Um, wasn't too expensive. It was it was nice. Lovely, lovely city. Looking forward to just exploring a little bit tomorrow before we kick off the action. Ireland obviously playing in a, a much smaller stadium to, on Wednesday and Tuesday evening instead of where they were in the, on, on Saturday in the Aviva Stadium. So got to see the venue today. Quite a little comp- small compact arena. The under under 17s actually played there in the 17 championship when they were in Hungary. Yes, uh, so far so good. Rough, little rocky enough flight in, but listen, can't complain. Yeah, we'll uh, we'll be talking about that game later on. We'll get a little look at that as well. You have a little bit piece with uh, the head coach or the interim head coach, Eileen Gleason. She'll be joining us indirectly, pre-recorded, of course, earlier in the day, uh, as you spoke to her at the game. But we got to talk about Saturday and. So much happened. The football was great. Uh, the result was great. The performance was great. The crowd was great. But in hindsight, really, the least significant thing was actually the game, in my opinion, uh, given, I suppose, just the historic nature of the day in terms of the the, the visible support, the, the venue, uh, the players. The, it just it all came together, really, for women's football in Ireland on, on Saturday. As someone who's been involved in following the, the league and following the sport for the last decade or so, your thoughts on on how the weekend went? Like I disagree just slightly. The, the football at times, first half wasn't amazing, but that's around as you say, that's a bit of irrelevant. I think I didn't really get to see much of the warm ups because we were down below. We were down below, and by the time we come up, they were sort of coming in. You know, Lisa Lamb setting the tone off uh, around Levine and sort of spine tingling, and like it's when you, when you look back upon it, you sort of think how far we've come. For me, it's a little bit less than you, but like you, you, me and you have talked about the days of Belfield Park, you and Belfield Park, watching Ireland play, you know, watching them play in front of small crowds in Tala, watching them struggle to get people in the, in the door, and then you see a record crowd of 39,944 at the Aviva, and you're sort of thinking, wow, you know, how far, how far we've come along. For me, just even to see so many people at a women's game, a women's soccer game in Ireland, it's it's special, Chatting to people, chatting to people today, chatting to friends today in, in, in Budapest, and they were saying that they stopped off in the N7 in the garage, and it's the first time going to an Ireland game that you sort of see the garage is packed of people. People come from Cork, Kerry, Limerick, Clare. Like the timing probably of the of the fixture helped an awful lot. I think everything just fell into play in terms of the fixture. It was the right fixture. Over a thousand over a thousand Northern Ireland fans there as well. Made it made a lot of racket. Like it was great. Uh, it was it was what women's football needed. We're now putting the past behind us, and we're, we're looking to the, we're looking to the future. We're looking to to what what else can happen. The one thing I will say, the two players who spoke to the media last week, Diane Caldwell and Katie McCabe, the fans who were at the game, they didn't boot them. They didn't. No, the biggest them. the biggest cheers of the of the of the night. It was three players. I felt. Got just that little bit of an extra push. Katie McCabe definitely got the biggest cheer of the night, but the Tyler Tolan cheer uh, was significantly large as well. And I think that was uh, fairly evident there. And then Amber Barrett, of course, she just seems to be the popular one. She came on uh, towards the end of the game and she got a huge uh, ovation from the crowd as well. So, um, yeah, but that kind of tells its own story though, right? Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. And I think everybody was in attendance and we, we know... Uh, Donegal journalist Chris McNulty, you could see how the embrace he had with Tyler in, in the in the in the mix zone after, and you could see how much it meant the boat to see her back in the Ireland squad. You could see how much it meant. And listen, don't get me wrong, when she spoke to us after the game, yeah, a lot of our answers were probably predetermined and pre. But you could see, you could see the smile that she was back. You could see she was happy. A lot of people started saying the player of the match award is a is it a PR stunt? But the only thing is that wasn't picked by the FAI. That would have been picked by RTE. That would have been picked by by Steph Roach and co-commentary, so you can't you can't say that was a was a, a PR stunt. But for me, listen, she done nothing wrong. Great to see her back. I just hope she builds on it. Like you, you look at her last international game it was against Montenegro, twenty nineteen. It's a long time. 
She was only what still she's still sixteen, just gone seventeen at the stage. A kid had a couple of tough years. Levante struggled to get a bit of game time. Celtic didn't really work out for her. Man City was difficult. It was always going to be, but sort of hoping she comes of age at Blackburn. She started the season quite well so far, and she deserved to be back in the Iron Squad. She wasn't back in there because Vera Powell was gone. She was back in there on merit for the fact that she's actually played for a club at the start of the season. She's I think put the fact that Vera probably helped matters as well, though, to be fair. 100% it helped. 100% it helped, but that's not the reason why Eileen called her back. She called her oh, back because, I agree with you completely. And, 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 and that's, go on. that's the thing that I think people need to realise. Yes, you can, you, you can put two and two together and get six if you want, but there's many different reasons behind it. And like as Tyler said, is Tyler never once closed the door on playing for Ireland. She never once says, I'm not available. That wasn't her choice. That wasn't hers. And like I think I think she stood she 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 stood up and put in a in a, in a decent shift in the green jersey. To be honest with you, she definitely looked she definitely looked nervous. I expect an awful lot more from Tyler tomorrow. Absolutely. I expect an awful lot more for Tyler. She gets more and more comfortable back in that Ireland setup. And like we're delighted to have her back. You know, we've been champion for we've been a, an admired or you've been talking extremely highly over the last year or so and like you got to be happy for the girl. Yeah, 100%. She was, when we launched Sligo Rovers back in the day as under-17s in 2018, we had a massive day with hundreds of girls in from the local league. Some of them have gone on to play underage with Sligo and are even progressing through to the senior, at the edge of the senior ranks now. But it was Tyler, Tyler and Catherine Hyman, who was a local Northern Ireland international. But the two girls played with Science Swifts together. And Tyler came down, Catherine was there, and we had a huge day, and she was phenomenal with these kids. Now, she was barely a kid herself, still in school, 16, maybe 17 at the time, and she just really just threw herself into it. The kids absolutely lapped it up, and they could see her as a role model, as someone who was very close to their own age, some of them maybe only 13 or 14 or 12, uh, looking at this girl who was probably like fourth year when they were first year kind of saying, Oh yeah, I could be this girl. This could be me. And and she was just so phenomenally good uh, away from the pitch. What she was doing on the pitch was brilliant. I probably agree with you. I'm not sure I'd have given her player of the match 100% the other day, but she was definitely in the mix. But what I was impressed with was just her general play. Um, when stuff needed to happen, anytime Northern Ireland, and it was few and far between, but anytime Northern Ireland got a bit of a run, got a bit of momentum, got a bit, of an attack going, it nearly seemed to be Tyler Toland every time that got the foot in and got the ball away to a, a teammate or or win the ball herself. But everything was one touch, just the physical technique. And I suppose that comes from maybe a year or so in, in Spain. That technical ability was evident. And she, as you said, is going to grow into that position. I think it's great to see her back in. And it was so positive. Even after the game the other day, everybody was all smiles. Kira Crusoe uh, was just she just seemed to be loving life at the moment. She got handed a goal, but she took it so well, and she really seemed to enjoy that moment as well. Before we get on to the actual game, though, let's talk about the other debutante, because uh, Tyler's effectively a, a kind of a re-debutante after four or five years. Um, Do you want me just to drop out here because I know you're going to give me awful abuse? <laughs> I'm not going to give you abuse. I just like, I like, I'm beginning to get the taste of humble pie myself, and I want to dish it a little bit of that. Caitlin Hayes, I've been talking about her for about a month. We've been featuring her on, on the website, Final Whistle. We've included her in the Irish Eligible Players I didn't question actually... before I go any further. Yep. Have you taken the English flag away from Final Whistle now that she's declared for Ireland? It was never there. I took it away a long time ago. It might have been there the first day by accident, uh, but we've taken it away. Uh, it is still there. The American flag is still there for Deirdre Bradley. She's next on my list for a look and uh, see how she gets on with the Irish team as well. She's a, a mid to late 20s player in Durham with a couple of Irish players. She's over there with Nisha McAloon and uh, Eleanor Ryan Doyle and, and Saoirse Noonan. Uh, so we're seeing some of those girls kind of on the fringe of the Irish team, and I wouldn't be surprised to see Deirdre maybe get a look in at a squad in, in before the end of the Nations League. I think she's impressed me, or at least her stats are uh, impressive, and I think she'll um, she might feature for the Irish team in the coming weeks and months as well. But yeah, I suppose... I'm gonna gonna play devil's advocate here, just what? in Caitlin has. Okay, yes, she had a good game, but no disrespect, nor no, we're a poor side. Yeah, and I, she I, I really like. That she she was very cagey for the first 10 or 15 minutes. Was a couple of stray passes. There was a couple of poor touches that almost got her in trouble. Uh, but as the game developed, I think she progressed. And I think I know what you're going to say, but I think she's going to grow into that role and she's a potential replacement. With three Asian centre-backs, don't forget, all in their mid-30s. I think, I think she was massively nervous. 
And yeah. there's nothing to be there's no like you 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 and I both were in were, were speaking to her after the game and like you could get that sense from her that it meant a lot to her. You know, you could get the sense that like the problem is the problem is and I've said this before, I said the question that needs to be answered is we've seen the last three managers sort of focus on elder players coming in on passport rules. You know, is that a detrimental impact to the women's league of Ireland? What how are we gonna sort of keep the the players at home engaged if if that's gonna if that's gonna happen? But that's a question that has to go to the FAI. Caitlin, listen, she said she said she she talked the right thing. She said in the press in the, in the, in the press post game that she she'd been trying to do it for a while. So was a Vera didn't want her. What was the delay? Why was the whole look? What happened? There's a number of questions there that people probably want answered. I think that's just the cynical side of people that you know they want them questions answered because. They think is she just coming in because she thought she might have got to a World Cup? But listen, she never got to play in a World Cup. She wasn't selected for a World Cup. So for the fact she actually come in off the back after the World Cup, it's up to her to sort of prove that she's good enough to be there. Saturday was a step in the in the right direction. She probably could have been in the reckoning for player of the matches as well. Oh, she should have so. probably she 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 said to us she was devastated she didn't have a goal. But the one thing I took away from it, and I, I tried to probe a little bit with her, is about, about being in the squad and, and being called up. And, you know, she talks about being a privilege. She talked about the fact that she, she'd have been a water girl and she'd have been happy to be a water girl to be involved with Ireland. I think, to me, you don't hear an awful lot of players sort of talk like that. You don't hear players sort of say like that. You know, players normally say, oh, I'm happy to be here. I'm happy to this and happy to that. For her to say, listen, I'd have, I'd have been happy to be a water, water girl just to actually be involved. I think that in itself is probably is probably an indication of, of how much it means. Where she she was talking about her family side of things, and like, listen, the jury's still out in terms of is she going to be is she going to be a really really valuable player for Ireland? But the, she, we won't we won't know that until we play better opposition and then we see how good she really is. But uh, when it comes to debuts, you probably, she probably couldn't have asked for any, anything more in her in a she had an opportunity at one the stage. Goal. The goal, she had a header. She, well, she had headers throughout the entire game. She was so deadly from set pieces. But yeah, that I one header, um, goalkeeper makes a great save. And then, of course, it is the, the corner that we, from that header is the one where Lucy Quinn gets on the end of a of a poor clearance from, um, I think it was Rachel Furness, um, gets a head out, doesn't quite get enough on it. Lucy Quinn hits it from the, from the edge of the box and Furness's toe just takes it past the goalkeeper. Um, listen, it's a good, bit of good fortune, but nothing that Ireland didn't deserve. They really were the better side on the on the day, right? The problem the problem is, is Breffney, is if Ireland had been as clinical as they should have been, they win that game 6-7 nil easy. The fact they went in one and a half time, like there was times they were trying things that wasn't working at all. There's, the, the problem for Eileen is, how, how do you make so changes so quick? She, yes, she brought a couple of person, different personnel in, like making changes, people talk about wanting attacking systems and stuff. Like we all want Ireland to play attack, and we all want Ireland to go, go, go. But to do it so quick, it's probably not. It's probably it was probably unrealistic for people to to call. There was definitely better signs of attacking. Do I think we need to bring the game to these sort of teams a lot more? Yes, absolutely. I think we need to sort of drive at the teams like that, drive at the likes of Northern Ireland even more, and sort of should have had them dead and buried before half time. And then the second goal. Listen, Keir Crusoe doesn't give up. I think that's that's a sign of a of a good striker and a striker in form that she 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 makes that gamble. But the keeper and what the keeper is doing, I don't know. Um, I want to ask your opinion on Keir Caruso because the first time you'd have probably got to speak to her. Yeah, definitely the first time I spoke to her after the game. Um, Great I, character. As, as a player, I really like her application. Um, is she going to score thirty goals in a season? Probably not. But she's so no more than uh, Caitlin Hayes. She's she's good in the air. She she's really good at at reading the game and building the play and and creating opportunities for herself and those around her. And then when they are provided to her on a plate like the, the second goal was the other day, um, she absolutely nailed it. And there was no mistake, even from twenty five yards into an empty net. It can be easy enough to miss those as well. Um, afterwards, as, as a personality, I, I brought it up in the press conference with her. And she kind of fumbled in it. She, I don't this, think she is why, this is why I want to ask the question. I don't think she was quite expecting the question because I'm, I'm guessing she assumes that nobody watches the games from, from America. But I am that person who's a bit of a night owl. And uh, an evening kickoff in San Diego is right about my kind of peak time, uh, two or three o'clock in the morning. And she had she scored on her second game as a match winner. Really and her initiation 
which is standard in most sports teams, let's be honest. Um, her initiation was in the post-match video or the post-match interview that she was called for. Anything that anybody handed her, she had to keep in her hands, visible in the shot. So she couldn't put anything down. She couldn't cover anything up. And so they were putting scarves on her, hats on her, uh, handing her T-shirts, handing her like um, clipboards. I can't remember exactly what they were, but it was hilarious. Uh, and I think it was the goalkeeper whose name escapes me right now um, from uh, San Diego Wave. And, and they were just coming in and just they'd walk into shot and hand or something and then just walk out a shot again. And uh, every now and again, like every, every 15, 20 seconds, somebody else would walk in. And it was it was just funny. And I asked her about it because it, it takes a fairly strong character second day, second game in the in the squad, only in the squad a wet week, really. And you're prepared to embarrass yourself on, on that international TV because while we're watching online, they're going out live to millions of people across the, the major networks in the US. So um, at peak times. So like that interview was seen by at least a million or a couple of million people, maybe. Um, it's it's fairly phenomenal. She seems like a really, really positive. And even some of the social media stuff she did with the FAI uh, in the build up to the World Cup as well, where she interviewed her teammates and stuff. Um, she seems like she's part of that kind of social glue within the squad. I always walk away from her interviews fascinated. Always walk away. I had the chance to speak to her multiple times, and every time I speak to her, it's you know, you, you know how invested she is. Like, listen, she'd run through a brick wall for you, and that's that's the biggest thing that you want. Problem with Ireland is, is Ireland have never had someone who's going to score 20, 30 goals in the season at a really, really, really high level. We've had it National League, but we haven't had it where we've seen it abroad saying... I'd argue Fiona O'Sullivan probably probably delivered to a small degree on that. Listen, if Sarah Lawler doesn't Sarah Lawler doesn't have the knee problems, Sarah Lawler probably goes down as one of our greatest one of our greatest all time all time internationals, in my opinion. Yes, Olivia O'Toole, listen, Olivia O'Toole, I love Olivia O'Toole. Olivia O'Toole is a, is an icon. If Olivia O'Toole was playing in this day and age, I've no doubt Olivia O'Toole scores buckets of scores buckets of goals. And she, you know, she does that. Like for me, the fact that three different goal scorers three different, you know, ways of scoring, the, the way the goals are scored as well. Lily Ag took her goal very well. I think probably her first or second touch in the game. She wasn't long onto the field either. And, like, for me, you could see even, like, the funny thing is, the Lucy Quinn goal, she doesn't know what she's doing to celebrate. She's sort of a bit, what am I going to do? First goal at the Aviva. Sorry to got Kira Caruso. Like, you could see how much it meant to Kira, I think, because Kira, Kira was very good for Ireland in the World Cup. Probably Ireland's second best player, in my opinion, behind Rusha Littlejohn Little, Little for me. Okay. Like, I think Katie was good in the World Cup, but I think Rusha was probably one of Ireland's best players in the World Cup. Top three, four. Katie's definitely right up there. But, like, for me, you could see how much it meant to just the fact that, of getting that goal. And then when, when they get the tours, lap of honour, say thanks to the fans, like, you know, it worked out well in the end. Would we like to see more goals? Obviously, of course we would. Would we like to see more clear-cut chances? Yes. But when your defence has very little to do in a game, your goalkeeper has a pretty oh, much... We haven't even talked about clearing the ball off the line. Like, or We might have earlier at the very, very top of the show, but um, they cleared the ball off the line, like absolute certain goals twice. Um, was... Once early in the second half uh, when... Uh, Kira broke through, goalkeeper smothered it, but it was still going into the back of the net until Demi Vance came in and cleared it. And, and then the one in the first half, I think it's probably it's the, one the one in the first half was phenomenal. It was absolutely phenomenal. Yeah. I think it was Rebecca Holloway on the line. Um, it was yeah, clears the ball, and I how she kept that out, I have no idea because it was a powerful effort. It should have gone into the back of the net, and it didn't. Um, and so Northern Ireland probably rode their luck a little bit on that respect. Didn't really create much in the way of of a clear cut chance really through the ninety minutes. I can't really remember them ever looking like they were going to really threaten. Well, preferably, we're being a little bit critical here, right? Which we which we probably have to be in terms of nitpicking at stuff. But if I just said to you at the start of the day, listen, Ireland are going to win 3 0, clean sheet, front of, front of a record crowd. We'd have said, yeah, happy days, let's move on. We'd have, we'd have taken uh, them out. I don't know if I would. And I think that's, that's the level that I think these girls are capable of because I think, like, the, they're getting an awful hammering in the press, not so much in the last three days. But they're getting an awful lot of hammering in the press over the last three months. Um, since 
the Vera Powell stuff came up and they've really kind of refused to back her. And we all kind of, anyone who's involved in the game knows why that's happening. It's very evident if you're any contact in that environment at all, you're hearing stuff, you're, you're, you know stuff, you've seen stuff before. It's nothing new in the women's game. Um, but to see Dan Caldwell come out, and as some people have described it as a savage in Vera last week, yes, it is, but it's also the truth. And so you've got a squad of players who, I have no doubt in my mind would back Diane and Diane's version of events, at mostly 90%, 95%, and even 99% or 100%. I don't know. But I would say Diane would hold that view as on behalf of the squad. And you've got a group of players that are prepared to go out in public and say, we're better than what we're delivering. We're better than the supports around us. Give us more help give us more support, give us better people around us in the key positions and we'll deliver. And then to go out and actually deliver that, I think that's huge. If if I was coaching at that level, that's a dressing room I want to go into. And you you talked last week, maybe or maybe it wasn't you, maybe it was somebody else, uh, talked about how, why would you want to be involved in that squad? I'm seeing a lot of that on social media. Oh, let's, come here. Me, that's what I want to be involved Prime time to come into the squad. The, the, pop, the thing is, and I was saying this earlier, I was saying this earlier on when I was having conversations the next generation of young kids who are coming through are much better. Like you look at the Hannah Healy, Jess Fitzgerald, Ellen, Ellen Doolan, the, the, young, the youngster, youngster in Athlonica, her, her name's just escaped. We made her on the 19 debut the other day. The next generation are going to be even better. And the pathways are going to be even better to where in four or five years time, we probably have a, an under 15s league to where the pathway starts even younger. And then when you started thinking what happens more like, they're gonna get better, and we're gonna this. The players gonna to continue to go abroad as well. So, like, we're gonna have better player, more players, just because of the technical abilities of, of the younger players. And like, things are moving on at a rapid pace to where we may have another one of these 15, 16 year olds, seventeen year olds come into the squad in the next year, year or two, a couple of them, and then adds even more competition play, for place. Like for me, my my concern over the Ireland job is is that. I think the FAI need to say, listen, okay, yes, we haven't got a lot of money. We're going to have to take a gamble here and sort of stump up a bit of extra, even if it means that a small bit of the debt doesn't come down this year to actually get someone in place. Because realistically, to get the right person in place, if it costs a bit of extra money, so be it. Because the thing is, you'll make it back with sponsors, you'll make it back with crowds, you'll make it back with, with more and more endorsement deals. And like, yeah, you've, you've hit on something that I think is super important. And uh, we talked about this briefly on Saturday. We didn't have a whole lot of time because there was so much happening. But essentially, we have a situation now where that game at the weekend, there was 36,000 people in the ground. Another 1,000 or so tickets probably sold on top of that. Maybe even 2,000 sold on top of that. So say 36, 37, 38,000 people. Even if you took it at an average price with a couple of concessions and a couple of freebies and the, the kids' price, let's take a tenner a pop. That's the guts of four hundred thousand. I remember kids were kids were a tenner a pop. And that's what I mean. But let's just take that as the average price, right? That's a tenner. Uh, Three thirty-eight thousand times is just under four hundred thousand. So let's say four hundred thousand because it was the average price would have been slightly higher than a tenner. Uh, so four hundred, maybe even five hundred. But let's go with four hundred. If we can do that five times a year in the Aviva Stadium, which is not impossible. But if we can do that as a, as a women's team, bring that kind of crowd in, maybe increase that price 10 to 15 euros, whatever. Once people see how good it is, I think it's going to be phenomenal. If we can fill the stadium and then slowly bring that price up 10, 12, 15 euros, and all of a sudden you're bringing in the guts of a million a game, like we've now got a pot that should be ring-fenced for women's football. It should be going to the underage international teams. It should develop... The, the underage leagues in the League of Ireland, it should go back into the... I'm not going to say the clubs, and, and some of our listeners will go apoplectic when they hear me say that, but I think it needs to support the clubs. So it needs to go into grants for facilities. It needs to go into grants for coaching and maybe even centralising the coaching contracts um, within the FAI. It needs to go into centralised international players' contracts, in, uh, centralised scholarship programmes, uh, and... Keep it within the FAI in terms of the ownership of these programs and the control of the money because with all due respect to a lot of the people involved in the league um, and particularly in the League of Ireland and not current but over decades, uh, they don't really manage money 
well. I'll so, go on. I'll go on. I'll go on record here and say this: that I wouldn't give the clubs the money because well, the yeah. clubs will just go and spend. The clubs will just go and spend it. They'll bring in players. They'll just they'll spend the budget as, as quick as it comes in. And then what happens then? The money's gone. You, you need it for something else. Like it, it, it needs to be careful, and that's why I, I've said it multiple times in the last number of months. We need a new strategic plan for women's football. 100%. Where grants are involved, everything is involved, everything's on the table. I think consultation needs to happen with every every stakeholder, clubs, media, government, everybody, and to see how we can all align to bring the league forward. Because realistically. It needs to come forward on all them levels. If it if it doesn't come on forward on all them levels, things like advertisement, things like numbers at games, things like to me, we've had the conversation, and I've had the conversation with with people in Shelburne in particular because this is where where I had the main conversation about it about ticket prices. And you're of the opinion, and I agree with you, is that people have to be paying for a product. You can't just hand it to them and say here, because that doesn't work. Because okay, they might come once, oh that's free, and we we'll come. But no, you have to be getting a reward for your for what you're putting what you're putting out there, and that's why when you're critical of things like LOA TV, that's why you're critical. It's not critical yeah, because 100%. the service is this. The service is great when it work when it works. The commentary is sometimes okay. I understand where you're coming from, but we need to have that product to be able to step forward to the next level. That's something that's probably holding us back as well. You know, well, the, I, I think on on LOA TV, and I'm glad you brought that up because um, it's just too biased. For it to be a viable commercial product, uh, it's run by supporters. Uh, in terms of the commentary, it's the whatever club uh, official or club reporter or media member, of their team or somebody associated is available. And sometimes I kind of feel like it's a tick box exercise for some of the clubs. They've got someone who's ticks the box. Something else I don't have to worry about on a match day. That's grand, but it needs to be a viable product. You need to sit down with it, and I think this needs to happen at, at FAI level and then LOI TV level. And by all means, keep the keep the commentators we've got. There's some really, really good people in there, but we have to uh, reward them for their work and their effort because there's no incentive to go off and and do any research or to know anything. Like I talked last week about specifics about certain people and probably unfairly picked out one or two people specifically, but I know that there are people who've who've commentated across both men's and women's games, and they've told me to their to my face. Uh, I put in a load of work for the men's games. I research the two teams and I have a whole load of notes when I go in. The women's stuff, I just wing. And that's not good enough. We need to be paying these people um, at least something towards the going rate in the industry. Somewhere around 100 to 150 euros per game at a minimum. Um, and create a pool of these people. So rather than, there's some really good commentators, but maybe the guy based in Wexford could be doing a game in Waterford, or could be doing a game in Cork, or could be doing a game in Dublin, and vice versa. So, yeah, if you or I or whoever is involved in, in doing these games, and we've all done games at, at, with LOI TV at, at some level, um, you have to travel. You're not in your own home turf. You're somewhere else, same as we do at referees, so that the guy who's commentating biasly at the moment on his own team, all of a sudden, it's a job. He's going to be a professional commentator and it rises the standard of the of the production. And I think that's the only thing that's really missing, that really keeping it from being, yeah, you can want replays and, and all these fancy graphics and stuff, but the commentary is key. And I think that's a big problem at the moment. Not necessarily the level, but the bias. And the bias needs to be not necessarily eliminated entirely, but it has to be toned down. It's just gotten ridiculous. Uh, there's games, where, like I mentioned last week, I'm not going to rehash it, but there's games where they're actively cheering for a single team while on the microphone. That's not good enough. Listen, I, lo I love Max Thompson and Max Thompson at P-Mount and I love uh, Ronald McCarthy at Wexford. Two of my favourites that I, you, just, you just listen to because they, they don't... You're right, in what, you're right in what you're saying and that's the sort of conversations that we need to be having. And like, listen, that's why I love coming on here because I'll say something one week, next week will come on up like, oh, I know we're going to chat about this. And, the thing is, and I'm just like, okay, let's take let's take the medicine. And the funny thing is, is that I've had managers come and say to me, yeah, you've said this on the podcast. And I say, yeah, yeah. And the thing is, they don't turn around and say to you, oh, you're this, you're that. You shouldn't have said that. They, they turn around and, you know, you have a conversation, you have a conversation with them. Or sometimes they make you humble pie and, you know, you have, you have a bit of banter, you have a bit of back and forth and a bit of banter with them. But like, the thing, the thing is, we also, we also don't want, and I think this is an important thing to say, is we also don't want people involved in the league to become robots as robots as well. And like, the thing is, even if even like, 
there's no trend. Like a lot of these people are complete amateurs. They've never done this. Same with a lot of teams' social media things. A lot of a lot of them are amateurs. Some of them put in more effort than others. Some put in a lot of effort. Some just don't. And like all that sort of all that sort of plays way. Because then you look at like every time you look at an international break, you look at Cara Gainer with the FAI with the videos. You know, over in and around, and that sort of thing. You're sort of thinking, wow, she's only in there for the international camps. Like some clubs will do things like that. Like I love what Galway do with the with the videos. Even the post game, the things like post game interviews, small little things like that, give the con, give the content back, because there's no doubt about it. People are itching and people are, are are scratching to find that bit of content. So sort of give it to them and sort of be like, here, there we go. Because if well, Vibrant National, if Vibrant National League for me has a massive knock on effect for an internet for an international team as well for women's football for me, it has a it has a massive correlation. Two things I want to pull you up on there, and the second one just came to me. But the first one is, um, I think we need to have a, a better focus on what's happening in the league. And this 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 show was a perfect example of it. There are times when we started out here where we barely got, uh, sometimes even double figures watching the show in a week. Now we're averaging somewhere in the low four figures. Like we we normally have a four figure audience uh, by the time the week is through in terms of people watching us on whatever platform it might be, whether it's on Twitter or YouTube or on our website or, or Spotify or whatever, when you add it all up, uh, it might look small in each specific location where you're watching us right now, but it does add up. And, and like a thousand people plus every week watching this show is huge because they're the people who care about this league and it's growing exponentially. The World Cup pushed us on and, and in terms of numbers and it's going to continue to grow as we cover more and more of the games throughout the thing. But when we look at the National League and the impact it's had, and, and uh, there's no doubt you talked about the technical ability of the players coming through, that's down to the under-17s, the under-19s leagues that have come on stream in the last five years. 100% down to that. Uh, I, I, I'll fight anybody to the death who suggests otherwise. Uh, these players are better because they're playing at a higher standard. But last Saturday, on that momentous occasion in the Aviva Stadium, on the match day squad, we didn't have a single League of Ireland player. And that, that's the only negative I can take out of last weekend. I knew you were going to bring this up. I knew you were going to bring this up. And it goes back to what I said earlier in the show about the parachuting of players in from uh, with, with Irish passports. It goes back to things like that. Is that the strategy that they're going to take? For me, and I don't, I hate to say this because, you know, I've, I've worked closely with the FAI on, on things. But the, the relationship between the, the, the League of Ireland and the international is going the wrong direction at the minute for me. The gap is the not the gap, the the amount of players we're seeing in squads is getting less and less and less to where we only have one in this squad. We which although we two for the World Cup, Abby's of obviously just gone and Anya's just retired. I have concerns over the next twelve months. I'm not gonna lie. I I, I agree with you. And I think it's gonna be a case where we need to proactively go ahead of that. I think a new strategy would would help in that situation as well. But I suppose if someone's drafting a strategy, um, I'll happily volunteer to be part of a focus group on that or to help any way, shape or form on that side of things. Uh, but in terms of where we go from here, I'd love to see some of the, the revenue that's going to be generated from these games. I think we should stay in the Aviva. Even if the next game is a little bit smaller in terms of attendance, I think that should be the aim. Fill the Aviva first. Forget about what you're taking in in terms of the ticket price. Um, if we can keep an average of a tenner coming in through the gate and start filling the Aviva for women's games, then we can build a, the price up to where it probably should be for an event of its magnitude and its size. Um, but there is a profit. There has to be a profit in that uh, games like last Saturday. That should be ring-fenced and, and, and put into women's game. I've said this already on the show, but I think it's, there should be a, a genuine look at what's attractive to the teenage player coming through secondary school in this country. How do we keep these girls in football? How do we keep them in education? Can we do something uh, in Ireland to counteract what's happening and the draw to England? They tend to go, there's a few that go when they're 18, Abby Larkin's one, Emily Whelan's another. There are other examples, but the vast majority go across there when they finish their education. So is there something we can do in that key area between 18 and 22 uh, to make it attractive to a youngster coming through the system now 
to genuinely want to stay in Ireland. And I think that needs to be a, a centralized program from the FAI. There's a bit of revenue coming in there now. It needs to be the first thing on the agenda. And I think that will counterbalance the drift that you're talking about between the National League and the international team, but also it will help the National League teams. If we can keep the, the Emily Whelans, the Abby Larkins of this world in the league, maybe that's a bit unrealistic given the quality of those two girls, but um, if we can keep those players and give them a viable option, even if it's just into one or two clubs, just to keep the program together, um, so be it. I think that's something we should be looking at. Yeah, I, 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 fully, I fully get that. And like I think realistically... And I've said it a number of times. This this under twenty three international team, we're probably prying out for as well to to keep them younger players, or even if you have it as a home base and use them as an under twenty three to have them in that sort of environment because the step off when they finish nineteen, so that's where we tend to also lose players to when they don't see a pathway for them that they tend to sort of go play other sports, they tend to go do other things. But the other thing you got to look at and. As much as I'll say it now that I probably didn't say it as much when it was happening because I wasn't I wasn't really allowed to say it. But like the home base sessions under Vera Power, at times they at times they were they were poor. At times yeah. they were t- players just going and playing eleven v eleven and nine v nine, eight v eight, seven v seven, bring, dragging players up to Dublin where it's not really worthwhile. You're wasting money on that sort of thing. So like, is it a case that we need to have once a month? A, a, League of Ireland, a League of Ireland home base camp for a weekend, something like that, where we can actually work on the technicality of the players, or you can work on something to help them get to that next level. It'll be interesting to see with the next manager if they come in with players that they identify and sort of say, "You're my sort of, you're the players that I have an eye on." Do they give them different types of strength programs? The one thing I will say, and I'll go back to Colin Bell. Colin Bell was a no case in terms of his ideology and. Listen, you could sit and have a conversation with him and you got on great with him. But the one thing to Colin Bell's credit is Colin Bell knew every player in the league, where they played, what, what they were good at, what they were bad at. And that was down to the players who were playing in the team who were finishing bottom of the league and being beaten out the door every week. He knew every player, every player's ability, what, what you could do well, what you couldn't do well, what you need to work on. And he met regularly with the clubs. And it all stems back into you, into your into your ideology that we need to have a central something centralized we need to have something to attract them players we need to have a we need to have a better communication between the clubs and the the, the international departments all, all the way all the way around across the board to actually make sure that when we're when we're doing things that we're pushing the players on both here and abroad to get the best out to get the best for, for the players and to help the players grow and continue to to push on because I don't want to see a national league. I don't want to see it go down the same route that we see with the men, where we're struggling to see players in in the home in the international squad because that's not that's not good for the league here, and that'll never help go to the league. Women's football is completely different to men's football. That'll never help go to the league, and the league will just say the same way it will, or it'll just go backwards. And yeah, but I I think you've spoken with the twenty threes. I disagree with you on the twenty threes. To be honest, um, I know why you think it's a good idea. But I actually believe, and this is coming from, I suppose I'm biased in, in some respects, but I spent the best part of a decade in university sport as a volunteer and as a full-time member of staff in what's now Student Sport Ireland. And I think that's the opportunity. We look at these girls because these girls are not going to, even, even the ones that make it, you make it to uh, the Abby Larkin status where you're getting a big, a big move or to Katie McCabe, Katie McCabe is not going to be able to retire at the end of her football no, career no, no. And, and do nothing for the rest of her life. Like most professional footballers and uh, male equivalents in her position. Just, just, to, just to stop you for a second, because I know where you're going with this, right? But my problem and the reason why I don't agree, I don't agree with what you're going to say here is because there's no pathway to actually get all these players at this young age to go into, into, into universities and stuff like that. If there was a pathway the idea of having a universities team and playing regular university games is brilliant. But the problem is, is in order for them to do it, they need to have that pathway. At the minute, you've got some colleges offering more than or offering things that others can't. And there's no... But I'm talking about a centralised programme. I'm talking about a centralised programme yeah. where you pick one university, put all the players in it, and even it's probably going to have to be a Dublin-based university. You put all the players in it. It's a full-time... Could be IT Carlo, of course. Um, but... Yeah, it could be wherever it is. It could be two or three programs, but that these players would then go out and play with their clubs at weekends. So you would assign them. So you might have 15 or 16 girls in the program. Every club gets one or two of them. 
And if you have to, if you have to artificially uh, improve the league uh, by putting two into Treaty and two into Sligo and two into Cork, uh, so be it. But you will raise the standard of the league across the board um, and, and manage it in the same way as the IRFU manage rugby. I think they do a quite a good job at making sure that um, players get opportunities to come through, uh, players get opportunities to get game time when they need it and, and manage their workload and, and kind of play in when, when they can. But anyway, we, we could talk about this all night. We are running out of time. This is meant to be half an hour. We're already 40 minutes in. We haven't even mentioned the fact that uh, the game is on tomorrow night at all. Maybe let's hear from Eileen Gleeson just ahead of the game tomorrow and we can uh, uh, hear what she has to say and we'll come back after that. Here, less, a little over 24 hours before Ireland's next game in the Nations League. You've had a bit of time to reflect on Saturday. What's the overall emotion when you've looked back at the game Saturday? Yeah, I mean, Saturday was a historic day for women's football. We were really happy with the girls' performance, thought that they applied what we'd worked on in training really well. So yeah, really positive about the experience on Saturday. In terms of the quick turnaround, it's never easy having to sort of go leave the country straight away to play another game a couple of days later. Have you been able to work on much in between or has it just been more on the tactical side of things? Yeah, I mean, look, we, the first priority is rest and recovery then to have the players fresh for today and tomorrow. So that's really where the emphasis has been on. And yeah, we've, you know, we've been working on our stuff in the background. So we'll be ready and prepared for tomorrow. It's a small stadium, quite compact. Have you had any conversations with, Col with Colin O'Brien as well, just considering you're on the 17s played here recently? No, I mean, look, I think it's a great stadium, beautiful pitch, nice and close, so we'll, we'll be really looking looking forward to, to getting out there. As you can see, it's a, it's a great stadium, and the, the training facility today is really well, well prepared for the pitch. How do you sort of plan ahead for this, this sort of game? Because all the expectations on Ireland, everybody's expecting Ireland to... I would say drive, drive the, drive the attack to the opposition. How do you sort of plan for this, this game? Because we've been used to it a lot of times where Ireland have sat back an awful lot more and let the other teams come to them. Yeah, I mean, you always consider the opposition in your preparations, but what we're trying to do is embed our own principles in here with a couple of changes to the, to the team going forward. So that's what we'll be focusing on, um, while factoring in the strength and the areas that we could potentially work on against against the opposition, but we're not focusing on expectations, we're more focusing on what we need to do to make sure that we come away with the three points. Everybody says six wins out of, out of this group are, are a must. Games like this is probably the tricky ones when you have to come away from home to an opposition who may just well sit in. Like When you're looking at planning for, for these sort of games, do you, make, do you make much adjustments from the Northern Ireland game? Because they're quite similar in terms of level of ability. Yeah, I mean, there's two things for us. You know, continuity and keeping the same 11 or you know decisions around what's the best 11 to play a particular opposition so we have to consider all of those aspects and then pick the best 11 that we think you know for that game in terms of the game tomorrow what are you expecting from your side because obviously there was elements where there was elements of very good saturday there was elements of areas that you could see they were trying things and there's areas that are there for but what are you expecting from Ireland tomorrow i'm thinking you know we're expecting that the girls would go out and play to the way we want them to play And a fully fit squad? Yes, fully fit. Everybody's selected on themselves. All good. That must be nice though as well, because this, this campaign, we've although we've seen Rusha come out and Izzy coming in, there hasn't been many travelling changes. Where some campaigns you've seen where there's been multiple changes in the week of the game, that must be nice. It, it, of course, it's nice. I mean, we had a lot of travelling and changing before. The, you know, the initial squad selection, as you know, with, with injury, players picking up injuries. So it's nice to be settled. Um, and it's nice to have a fully fit squad to select from for tomorrow. With Saturday out of the way, you can now put your head down and sort of concentrate even more because the, 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 there won't be a massive Irish crowd here tomorrow. Like for, for you as, as, as the coach, like what sort of things do you put in place to, to make sure that you, the players stay as disciplined, stay as, as how would you say, attack minded or, or focused on, on the results? Yeah, I mean, I don't need to do too much to motivate, you know, the players in terms of this. Everybody knows that this is a competitive game, and the three points is what we're what we're aiming for. So I don't need to do too much motivating in terms of that. Um, so yeah, the players know themselves, and we just continue to reinforce that. Is it nice to have another game so quick, though? Yeah, I mean, look, it's nice. Keeps the momentum going. Um, it's nice to get. Yeah, it's nice to have another game and. It's a quick turnaround, but then 
you're ready to go as, as sharp as you can. Arlene Gleeson there chatting to you earlier today. Um, she seemed in positive enough mood. Ireland going to this as heavy favourites as well. So um, a little bit of pressure to deliver, but probably pressure that they shouldn't have a problem reaching. No, and I, I don't really expect a lot of changes, to be honest with you. I think probably could see the same 11, maybe one, cha- one change. I think based off Saturday, probably Heather didn't have her best game in Ireland, in Ireland jersey. Probably will still stay in the team, but if you're going to see a change, maybe you might see Abby coming in instead of instead of Heather. Otherwise, I would probably expect it to be much the much realistically build on the performance from Saturday. I'd like to see some of the things that didn't come off on Saturday that they did try, maybe see how they got on. But the problem is, is Ireland going to have to take the game to North, to Hungary? It's it's not going to be a case that Hungary are going to be flat out attack like they will be when we play against, say, Sweden or things like that. So it'll be interesting to see how Ireland go about breaking breaking them down to sitting, to sitting. If she goes on Megan Connolly and, and Tyler Toland again, two of them sort of sitting in the hole will free Denise O'Sullivan. And the surprising thing from Saturday was probably the fact that she played Lucy Quinn up top alongside Kira Caruso, whereas we've been more familiar with, with Vera sort of playing one up top and having players sitting in behind her. And I, I, at times, at times it worked. I think it'll be interesting to see how much, more they'll be able to bring it on. The one the one thing and you I don't know if you've seen the social media post I put up earlier today from watching training today, the training sessions even even that of what we got to see are so different. I was still in the in the media media room underneath the underneath the stand when that and the door was open while they were training so we could hear them and it was was as if it was constant laughter. They were doing like exercises where they were they were sort of chasing each other. They were doing quick moving ball drills where Rivera it's already used to be a warm-up straight into 11 v 11 match day minus one and things are slightly different and it just seems that there's a there's a there's a positive vibe in the group and I expect them to win and to win comfortable enough tomorrow if they can come in away with another three or four nil win you'd be happy you'll let's say six six points out of six Ireland be extremely happy then then the next question is going to be is what happens for the for the double header against Albania will Ireland still be in charge my gut says yes. I don't. I have a feeling the FBI are going to hold off until the the next round at the the AGM that's that's due up later in the year to to win because there's a couple of new board members due on with the fact that the changes over the the number of females that are required. So I don't think they'll make any any appointments before then. I, I have a feeling that, that they'll hold off because that's when they'll start the recruitment process. After that, the only concern with that is if you're going to go if you are going to go external as we expect. If a candidate you want maybe picked up picked off in that period, that's the danger you have. You have, but I think they'll give oil in the next two Nations League games as well. Could they possibly give her the whole campaign, or at least the the group stage of the campaign? They play four games, or they play six games this side of uh, of the, the Christmas break, and uh, potential semi final and final in the spring. Um, should they should they just give oil in those six games and have? Almost an, an announcement of who the the new coach is going to be um, at the at the fifth or sixth game, and have them there, and, and kind of give them then that three months lead into a potentially what we would hope to be a semi final in this competition. It wouldn't be a bad show. It wouldn't be a bad show at all. Realistically, I think from an from an Ireland viewpoint, they probably just need a bit of continuity at the minute and a bit of just just to get the shackles back off them and just to get back back score and, and back winning constantly after after the World Cup. Like, what damage does it do? Not sorry, that's that's the wrong word to use. What what does it do to give oil into six games? It doesn't do anything. It's you know, it's it gives it buys them more time. That's what yeah. it does. It buys them a lot more time. If if as I suspect, they want to hold off. Realistically, if it's after the AGM, it's probably going to be November before we see we see a recruitment process starting. And you have to think the North, the Hungary and Northern Ireland game. I think they're the first and the fifth, or the second and the fifth of December. So they're early December as well. So it's not really that much time. If you think we're this Sunday, we're the first of October, and like it's only really nine nine weeks then till between between that. So it's not a long long period. And it's but the one thing I do I do think I do suspect a lot of people there will be a lot of interest in this job. One person who a lot of people probably thought might have been interested in it would have been Liverpool's Matt Beard, but obviously he's just signed a new contract with Liverpool in the week and didn't didn't suspect he would leave he would leave Liverpool. But like the, it'll be interesting to see what what who who applies. I think 
the package they offer is probably the key thing to how how many they do get to apply. But there's no doubt they'll get a lot of strong candidates. I just want to pick up on something you said a little while ago about you know raising the ticket prices and stuff like that. I'm going over to watch, and I don't talk about WSL much. I'm going to watch a couple of WSL games this weekend, and the ticket prices like I paid twenty five pound for some tickets into into watch Arsenal Arsenal's women. I paid something similar to watch Chelsea's women. And that's because they've been able to over the years of the hard work to actually put a proper value on their on their on their tickets. And I've no problem paying paying the money that I paid for for each ticket because I know it's a value for money. And that's the sort of thing that we we need to be aiming for. We need to be we need to be ambitious. And like this is where if Ireland can keep winning, you get the you get the ball rolling. It's not long till them games in the. It's not long till that hungry game at, at home. It's only it's only what. Four, I think it's four weeks on thir- four weeks or five weeks on Thursday. So it's not a long, it's not the Albania game. Sorry, it's not a long time. And then the Hungry game comes around another five weeks later. So there's not a lot of time. It'll be interesting to see what the FAI do if they if they stick with Tala. I think they'll stick with Tala for these games. But I wouldn't be surprised if next year we see three or four games in the Aviva. I think I think they need to gamble, and it's not that big of a gamble as Saturday proved. But I think they need to gamble on the Aviva Stadium for the next two games as well. I think once you've made that leap, I think it sends the wrong signal if you go back. And I think... The uh, only... Even if the, the numbers drop ca- slightly, if we can get 25... The only, caveat, go on. the only caveat is the games, the, the two next two games at home are both Thursday nights. That's the only that's thing. The yeah, That's the problem. Whereas if the Saturday worked perfect... That's where I think the risk is is a bit big because you won't get them people traveling from that you may have traveled. Like you know, again, I'm going to throw I'm going to throw a, a spanner in the works here for you, right? Could you imagine? I don't know. If, obviously, the venues haven't been set yet. The times might not be set either. Um, but why wouldn't that game be played at two o'clock in the afternoon, one o'clock in the afternoon, and have every schoolgirl in the country a uh, school trip from every school up? Well, you just you've just you've just actually said something to me there. If I'm not mistaken, that's the Halloween midterm. Even better. But it, it should be uh, every club, every school uh, should be organizing a trip up to that because mm-hmm. I think you put, I got a buzz. You talked about spine tingling, um, the, the uh, Lisa Lamb performance at the weekend. I have to be honest, never quite got it on the TV, got it on Saturday. Um, it, it didn't. It doesn't translate properly, in my opinion, on TV. You have to be in the stat in the in the crowd. It, it's not. It's not. Lisa Lamb was pointing, but for me, even just seeing Katie McCabe walk out the tunnel, I think yeah. that was enough for a lot of us to say, "Okay, wow," yeah. you know, and sort of take a moment to sort of and you, because the thing is, we were looking around the stand 15, 20 minutes before kickoff. You're seeing so many empty seats. Just, uh, but then again, as as Irish tend to do, as it got closer and closer and closer to kickoff. Them gaps were starting to fill more and more and more, and you, you just look around and thinking, "What am I doing here? What yeah. is going on? This is unbelievable!" And like, it, it's it's it fills you it fills you with unbelievable pride. And like, this, <laughs> you compare it to tomorrow night, there's going to be about a thousand, if even in in Budapest in total for the game. And it's it's mad to think they're probably where we were. At the end, it's probably the, the tail end of John Delaney's tenure at the FAI to, to compare, you know, and it's, it's it's mad when you look when you look at things like that. But I just you're right in what you're saying, and I think we need to capitalize on momentum. I think that's the biggest thing is capitalizing the momentum and actually continue on that upward shift because and the opportunity is here. One thousand people aside, or twelve hundred people aside, there was nobody there to watch Northern Ireland. With all due respect to Northern Ireland, it was the home team we were there to watch. I don't yeah. think it matters whether we play Albania or England, although England's probably slightly different, but uh, if we play one of the world leaders or we're playing Alba- Albania or Hungary, it's the event. It's creating that impression on young female players or even just young girls who are interested in sport that you can do stuff that's yeah. top-notch. And I think that's could important. You, could you imagine the USA playing at the Aviva Stadium? Oh, I'd, lo- I'd love it. I'd absolutely love it. Because they bring 20,000 fans as well. You could yeah. probably throw a pro yeah. park. You could probably fill Pro Park. Let's quick quick before we wrap up uh, at the. Club, sorry, you want to say something? I also, I also, yeah, I also will do it after the Nations League. I also want to have a chat about other events that took place on Saturday in the Aviva Stadium. Okay, we'll talk about that briefly. This is the league table after the first round of games. Ireland top of the table. Albanian Hungary drew yesterday. Northern Ireland, of course, uh, 
lost 3-0 in the Aviva. You would expect Northern Ireland to outrank Albania uh, tomorrow as well. So we might see the two Irish sides top of the table, but Ireland with a chance to put a bit of daylight between themselves and their opponents in that game. If we skip through the other uh, B groups, you'll see Finland uh, and Croatia are top of Group 2 in the B League. Poland and Serbia, they had wins over Ukraine and Greece, while in B4, Czech Republic and Bosnia-Herzegovina, they beat Belarus and Slovenia. Is there anyone there that would worry you in a semi-final? Probably a Finland on their day. It's sad to see the fall from grace from the likes of Ukraine, but I'd say probably probably a Finland be your biggest your biggest threat. But we beat them twice in the last campaign. You you wouldn't fear them. Yeah, probably absolutely. be the, they probably something like that or, or Bosnia probably be the biggest threat. But listen, getting out of group Group B is probably the biggest is probably the biggest thing. Actually, there's one Belgium. Belgium actually that's. Just quickly run through it. Uh, Belgium and England with wins on the opening day. England beating Scotland 2-1 there. Um, France and uh, France beat Portugal. Austria and Norway had a draw in Division uh, A3, while Denmark and Iceland, uh, they both wins. Denmark beating Germany, that's probably the biggest win of the weekend, really, in terms of surprises. Um, D- Germany really have uh, fallen off a cliff uh, in terms of women's football in the last two to three years. I remember, I remember watching Germany against uh, Denmark in the, in the Euros in, in, in Brentford and Germany could have scored seven or eight on them that night and it's just to think it was only 2022 it was only 2022 it was literally 18 months ago how, how times have changed final uh, group in group A is uh, Spain and Italy top of that from Sweden and Switzerland we won't uh, we won't delve too deep into that if you want to go and look at all the results and fixtures you can on finalwhistle.ie you want to talk about other things I'm guessing and uh, you talked uh, before you do I want to try and, I think, preface what happened at the at the weekend. Uh, it was lovely going up. You talked about the bodies that were around the petrol stations as, as you went up and down the country. I made the journey up about two hours up from uh, Carca Challenge, just in County Leitrim, and stopped at the Apple Green on the N4. And As I was walking in, bumped into Julianne Russell, and she was there with the family, and it was just, um, I almost didn't recognize her. Because out of context, carrying a baby, it's not how I would picture Julianne Russell. But it was just nice to kind of stop and have a little bit of a chat and um, get introduced to family and stuff and just uh, kind of catch up. I haven't spoken to her in, in a long, long time. Um, but it was she was going up for a, a, a CAPS presentation, which I'm guessing is part of what you want to talk about. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's great to see every player getting... The free cap of being been awarded, bad enough. The free cap being awarded with a, a cap to celebrate the fiftieth year. The LM players got to, got free got got two free tickets to the game. Like you see, many icons. I left the Aviva Stadium a lot later than yourself on on Saturday, and there's a bunch of them just coming out with the caps and the, the bag in hand with the caps. And you know, you just you just look back and to think they celebrated fifty year fifty fifty years anniversary of the first women's game. To think how far we've come, I just hope the next five years we take the next step because realistically we can we can come as far as we have in them fifty years in the next five years we can come that far again. And I just, yeah. uh, I, I think really so. Hope. The, the future is super bright. Sorry to cut across you, but the super future is super bright. And you're talking about fifty years. I don't even think you have to go back fifty years. My involvement runs at about ten years. 10 years. My involvement goes no, probably a bit more than ten to be fair. But my involvement runs about 20 years. And I remember games against Sweden that were played up in the, the amateur league, up in the Oscar Trainer Road. No seats, you know, and you didn't need any seats. There was less than 100 people at the game. And there might have been slightly home-based selections or whatever, but but that's the level we were at. Moved into Richmond, Be- Belfield, 150, 200 people to Richmond Park. Before you go, Bel- go Belfield, Baldonado. Oh, I'm sure. Who made a debut? Who made a debut in Baldonado? There was a uh, big senior international made a debut in Baldonado. Reached 100 caps this year for Ireland. Oh well, that has to be Nifahi, right? Yeah. No. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Yeah. No. Baldonado. Listen, I managed St Francis in, in the Champions League. I like. I like Baldonado. I have happy memories there. It was short, but a very, very sweet uh, period of time. It's a great little venue, but it shouldn't be hosting international matches. You know, it's totally not suitable. It wasn't then anyway, whatever, but now. But um, that's that's the level. And if we make that same trajectory in the next five years, 
selling out at a reasonable ticket price, selling out the Aviva for uh, competitive games is not beyond the realms of possibility. And I think the FAI need to invest the, the money in the promotion and and really make it attractive to today's tween, like 8 to 12-year-olds, and get them in the ground. Yeah, you're not going to make money off them for a decade. But in a decade or two's time, they're going to be the people who are making uh, sponsorship decisions. They're running clubs. They're playing. Um, they've got they've got support. They've, they can buy tickets. They can buy jerseys. They can come and support games away and support the, the team in that way. And I think that's where we need to, to start. We have a big decade or so ahead of us, but it needs everybody pushing the right direction. I think now that we've got a, a change of management in both the FAI and in the dugout for the women's, I think potentially we have a, a chance to do that. 100%. 100% agree with you. Well, listen, we leave it there. We've reached the hour mark. You know we don't like to go too far over it. Uh, enjoy the game tomorrow. It's been a great chat. Thank you so much for joining me. And we will catch up before you leave, uh, hopefully before you leave Budapest and be back in uh, in celebrating another Irish victory, hopefully in a couple of days. So uh, thanks for joining me. And we'll catch up with you and all the listeners uh, in a very few sh- short days. Uh, of course, anything you want, you can catch either on the WNL show with Aaron or here on finalwhistle.ie with myself and the team. Uh, we'll be covering the game tomorrow evening as well. So it's going to be a, a big day for Irish women's football, wherever you're watching it. Talk to you then.